0: Welcome back to Ann Motion, Kroll and Moorings podcast addressing all things transportation related. I'm Paul Keller, your host, and an IP litigator in Kroll's New York office. I'm joined by my law partner, Eric Ransom, from the government contracts practice in Kroll's Washington, D.C. office. When we hear about autonomous vehicles driving, we conjure up images of them in crowded city streets, driverless taxis, and the ability to work sleep, or enjoy the scenery to and from our daily commutes. And the tech and legal issues addressing that environment are numerous and ones that this cast has and will continue to tackle. Today though, we touch on some of those issues, but with our special cast from Forterra, we have a real opportunity to take our conversation away from the issues of urban environments and turn to the issues of off-road driving. Environments with unstructured terrain and various light challenges, where GPS tech may or may not work, and where the weather, the weather, snow, sand, or other conditions present unique concerns. To take us on this off-road journey, we have Pat Acox from Forterra, formerly known as Robotic Research. Pat is the Vice President of Defense Growth and leads Forterra's defense-related engagements, both domestically and internationally. Pat joined Forterra in 2022, and has worked with teams across the company to deliver meaningful autonomy products to defense partners. He's responsible for defense growth, key government partnerships, shaping product strategy, and executing novel business approaches and learning campaigns to drive best outcomes for our partners. Pat, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks, Paul. Real pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And Pat, first of all, it seems like they're exciting times on multiple levels. First, with the change of your name from Robotic Research to Forterra. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, the company RRAI was the first step in the rebrand before that robotic research. And that was very much tied to the early days of research and development. A lot of novel approaches to ground vehicle autonomy. And that carries with it a legacy of about 20 years, 22 years in actuality. Portera really just is our, our next step in evolution. We shifted from the R&D focus and are far more focused on the the product. It puts us essentially like a, a pioneer perspective into this arena. Our founder was among the first roboticists actually developing out this industry. And so the brand name, right, like where is it coming from, combines two portions, literally a combination of strength and earth. So we're looking at this from a deployment standpoint, where are we affecting, we'll get into that here in the podcast. And again, it's just a big shift from where we were, where we've been going, and this is the, the final drop and twist in it.
0: Well, that's great to hear. And I appreciate that background. My introduction alluded to a lot of what we'll be talking about today is off-road and the, the issues with autonomy in those, in those environments. But off-road is a term that we use, frankly all the time, but we may or may not understand it in in the context that we might be talking about today. Can you help us level set a bit, and what does off-road mean to Forterra?
1: Yeah. So at Forterra, we talk about off-road, what we're really talking about is all of the the places in between secondary roads through truly unstructured and underregulated environments. We used to define it by what it wasn't, so we used to look and say, hey, it's not highway and it's not dense urban environment, but it's not a great way to define something because it leaves a lot to be desired. And so when I think about the operational design domains that we're tackling, this is airports, train yards, logistic centers. It's true cross-country. So how do you go tackle hills, mountains, deserts? And then really the the underregulated roadways, I bring up Ice road trucking is a great example. Like the roads, they are pathways that might exist if you look at it from Google Earth. But that environment, you get road washout. So you can't trust pavement to necessarily be there. You can't trust the roadway to look and feel the same way it was five minutes or five days when you drove it previously. And that's, that's our big focus. The roads are essentially uh, an adversary. They're always changing. And because of that, our approach to autonomy has to be different. Well, and that raises a, a whole host of issues. And I, certainly in former
0: casts, we've talked about how some of the sensors and camera technology in these in these vehicles really use heavily the, the lane markers and and signage to navigate their routes. It sounds like your products are quite different. Let's talk a little bit about your products and where you've already deployed them. Can you walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so our first commercial deployment was actually in, in cities. So it was on a shuttle bus deployed to a number of different cities. So signage, lane marking, they're useful tools to pull from the environment. But when you start looking at how that applies to a defense space, where as an analogy, like the march up going across, you know, Kuwait into Iraq circa 2003, you don't have those artifacts to rely on from the environment. And so there's other signals of interest which become really important, not just GPS, because GPS can be can be jammed or, you know, run into multi-path issues from like urban canyons. But also because that pathway is unstructured, like there's a reliance on, you know, LIDAR, camera, IMUs, it's it's really a sensor fusion. So where we're deploying, really any climb in place, to, to borrow a phrase from the Marine Corps him, we're looking at. Snowy passes, alpine regions, we're looking at deserts, we're looking at subterranean environments where there is no navigation satellite signal coming through. And then we're looking at trails. We're also looking at yards. So think distribution centers and ports where that same sign markage and rules of the road don't really apply.
0: That covers a large spectrum of activity as you walk through that from clearly military applications. Kind of highlighted that a little bit earlier, as well as to the those complicated commercial deployment where there might be docking, or you mentioned the ports and and that environment. Can you walk us through a little bit more about the the product that you're deploying for these different environments, and and what our listeners can expect from Forterra as you know something they can see, maybe not on the roads because all of course off road, but what are you making available to your customers?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. Our principal product is, is called AutoDrive, essentially a vehicle agnostic full-stack autonomy solution. So that's ranging from the software you need to run it all the way through VIs, so the perception hardware, and all things in between. That gets fitted onto vehicles either on a production line or as an aftermarket solution and really addresses what we see as, as the most vulnerable and needful of customers right these are the folks who are running uh, on the defense side like long driving durations where the weather conditions are at best clear and sunny and at worst just downright miserable talking about rain mud brownouts from sand being kicked up and dirt and so what they're what they're really looking for is is a reliable partner to help them close that mobility mission one of the fun things i get to see is Kind of drawing back to the early days of the, the research and development side, a lot of different industries and government organizations thought they had a unique mobility problem when it came to autonomy. And what we found from all these touch points over the years was that really they had the same core problem, which is how do I move from point A to point B in an environment that I can't trust to be fully regulated and fully governed with proper signage, you know, with, with good roads, with clear lane marking, and that's where the the solution auto drive comes into play. That's impressive. And I must admit I'm a little curious. Like you mentioned it was automotive or vehicle
0: agnostic. H- how did that come to be? How did you go through the the development and testing to be able to be inserted into the various vehicles that may require this kind of technology?
1: Yeah. So oftentimes different groups would come and say, Hey, I have this vehicle and I, I want autonomous mobility. And the core thing that they were working from was usually some kind of drive-by-wire system. Like, hey, we have actuators on a steering wheel, we can provide power and throttle, but really we just need to make sense of A, the environment, and B, the the path and trajectory and accomplish the goal. And so from that foundation, there's a lot of back and forth around, hey, what does that connection look like? Is it automotive ether? Is it a common standard? Is it CAN bus? And we found that by and large, if someone had a, a drive-by-wire system on their vehicle, they were able to host an autonomy system, and then you know we would advise in what would make that a a better interface. So really, from the the OEM partners or, f- or from different groups, they would provide a vehicle. And the other poll was, hey, something can't be so bespoke to a solution that it's fully ingrained and, and can't move from one platform to another because. I mean, look at vehicle technology over the past 10 years. We've gone from, you know, a, a love of antique cars. And I love antique cars myself to look at Tesla operating and, you know, they have a phenomenal design and the industry just shifts so much. So any kind of one vehicle, if it's, if it's solely designed around one vehicle, there's just no scale to it. And I think that's where a lot of the industrial and defense partners have looked as like hey, i I'm not sure what my is going to look like in five or 10 years. But I know that autonomy has to be a core part of it. How do I have transfer learning between these? Kind of boils back down to that drive-by-wire. And then those four behaviors of how am I perceiving the world? How am I generating behaviors? And how am I sending it through for the vehicle to move from point A to point B? Well, that's impressive because and
0: certainly market leading. I mean, I know there are a lot of companies out there who are developing their own self-driving vehicles and from the hardware as well as the software, and a lot of questions arise about how this technology can be interoperable from vehicle to vehicle, if not the, the software, and if not just the vehicle itself and the its surroundings, but how these vehicles communicate with other vehicles or other infrastructure or the v to X issues that come up with this as well. And so this is impressive stuff. Now there may be a simple issue, and I think I know the answer to this question, but um, just to get your perspective of it as you're developing in this space, what does Forterra see though as the kind of the benefits? Of developing autonomy in these not unregulated, unstructured environments. Cause there's so much attention being placed now on, of course, on urban environments, on the highways of the of the world, but you've taken a different direction. What what's the benefit of doing so?
1: Yeah. So there's two main benefits that I see. One's kind of a moral imperative, and that's really the the individuals who are executing missions in these spaces. So I would call them the hard miles of the road are pretty vulnerable. On the defense side, I mean, we we wrapped up 20 years of a global war on terror, where half the deaths were from IEDs. And so, being able to pull operators out of that spot and have the vehicles really go tackle those missions is a life saving aspect. We see that translate pretty well to the same hard miles in the commercial sector, right? Look at first mile logistics. The other side around this and and why it makes it interesting to us is being in underregulated spaces or private spaces or deployed environments, the regulations of getting individuals to trust it at a federal or state level on open roads, that barrier is just not there for us. And so it's it's an approach to, to close mission and to allow the individuals, again, who are most vulnerable to make use of the technology in a fast way that can then go inform the rest of the business sector.
0: Interesting stuff. I've got a few different questions on the tech, but I know, Eric, you've got your government contracts hat on and you've got a couple of things that you'd like to go through with Pat. Do you want to tackle those
2: now? Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Pat. This is Eric Ransom from the government contracts group at Kroll. Maybe shifting gears just a little bit, Forterra raised $228 million in a Series A in 2022, but you're obviously not a startup working on early R&D. You've been in the defense market for 20 years. So what can you tell us about the company's long heritage working with defense customers?
1: It's been great. I mean, the bottom line is. The reason why I came over here is because Forterra's solution really closes missions that they have been looking at. But if we look back through the past, there were a number of S&T initiatives going, you know, I guess, further back than future combat systems that have run through various maturity levels. And the timing of the raise kind of coincides with this great nexus between the maturity of all of the things that need to go on to be able to, like, scale out the product so if you think about how far we've come with compute, going from classic modules to GPUs and how much more that can process, the advances in LiDAR technology, the advances in camera technology, all of those were indicated early days as maybe limiting factors for how this would really gain traction. And in the past few years, we finally hit that tipping point of, hey, the, the rest of the industry is mature enough for this to really go solve real problems.
2: That's great. And it sounds like a really dynamic moment. And I think for government and commercial technology, there's a lot of interest right now uh, in government adoption of dual-use technology, mostly about the government seeking to incorporate things that are existing in the commercial market. But for Terra, it's kind of going the other way. Um, How has the work in the defense market prepared the company for this huge commercial launch?
1: Yeah, I appreciate the question on a few fronts. I think on the Department of Defense side and also call it industrial side of the commercial base, there's just a real imperative, right? We're not talking about the convenience of kind of consumer cars. Hey, I'd really like to leave my seat all the way back and go to sleep as I, you know, drive from Maryland up to New York. We're really talking about how are we saving on labor shortages that exist in this environment and how are we protecting the individuals who are executing missions? And so on the defense side, there's nothing more imperative than that. Really, it's how do I accomplish the mission? So am I able to project out to areas that I wasn't able to get to before? And am I able to protect the people who are going out? Translates very well to the commercial side. And I see defense being you know, first adopted technology, again, really closes their mission. And then when we look at behaviors, the idea of running a convoy more efficiently. So maybe it's a leader follower or convoy operation. That solves a big problem for the Department of Defense, and also solves a big problem on the commercial side. If I'm looking at how do I go tackle off-road terrain with a single vehicle in an unstructured environment, that maps very well to what I'm expecting out of an unstructured environment at a port or distribution center or an airport. If I'm looking at how do I operate this thing remotely, Again, maps really well back to control centers on the commercial space where they might have to cover you know, 300, 400 miles of a, of a run, either doing resource movement or doing repairs along infrastructure, getting power out to folks in, in really disparate locations. Just as an example of this, we've been running something called Leader Follower on the Army side for you know a handful of years that's gone through a DOD procurement cycle. This whole thing maps very well to what we just did up in Canada with FPI, where we were basically supporting timber movement across pretty arduous roadways and snowy conditions. And so there's a good back and forth there. And it looks like defense is is leading and commercials fast followers, but they're they're neck and neck on those approaches.
2: I think that's a great intersection, that industrial side of the commercial market is so interesting. I think it's often overlooked how much of this movement of goods starts with that first mile, as you mentioned, and sometimes that first mile being far, far away from your nearest paved surface.
0: Well, I'm picking up on that, Eric, and and Pat, what you're talking about, I I think I just had a bit of a sea change mentally about how this industry may evolve, and I mean the uh, the self-driving vehicle industry generally. As I've always thought, or thought for a long time, that the world should expect autonomous vehicles to kind of pop up initially in regions which are relatively controlled. And so in my mind, relatively controlled meant things like, yes, like airports or, or mining or college campuses, and then maybe would see it in larger but still rather siloed communities, These communities get built up in particular regions for particular purposes and and the the residents there would use their self-driving vehicles to, to get around. But I must admit, hearing you on the defense side and your experience there with the leader follower makes me think that we may see a much larger adoption In the military use. And as that technology becomes more mature in that environment and the public more comfortable in seeing it and more just more data to support the experiences, it could be like many other technologies, it would then translate, as you're saying, into the commercial use. Um, It sounds like though you, you may, from what you were saying, you think it might be a little bit more in parallel than that? Or do you think the military really is gonna drive the development of this industry in a way that maybe People like me are not well predicting.
1: I think that the military is going to drive some of these actions and it's going to be a very easy adoption on the commercial side to see how these technologies are are really closing big missions. I used to have a similar perspective. I'd look out and say like ah, college campuses, controlled environments, maybe get making out to public roadways with like robo taxis. Those are, those are compelling. And I think they're often compelling because the size of the market's huge. The other side of it is I think that there's on the military side they are always looking for a, a more effective way to employ forces. And some of those behaviors that are going to come out of that research and development and that investment are going to lead to very novel commercial approaches. You can say the same thing about GPS, right? GPS is probably a great example. When the satellites first went into play, they were for military use. Selective availability was, was still a thing for the commercial side. And the rest of that market burgeon said, Hey, we we can track our stuff way better this way. This is a, this is a core technology. We want access to the same signals. And so while the military remains, you know, generation ahead, the commercial applications really, really balloons. So the same thing I think plays out here. Again, the leader follower convoy examples are a a good use case. And then, you know, how we go tackle really those, those ruggedized or off-road environments that opens up new markets that weren't otherwise visible. I'll never underestimate the the commercial sector's ability to say, hey, that's a great idea, but it can be used 18 other ways for this much better effect and fold it into their their playbook.
0: Sure. GPS is a good example. The World Wide Web is another example, letting the military take a little bit of the risk and (laughs) commercial deployment coming a little behind it. So that's a lot going on for Forterra. Any predictions? I know, I think it was Yogi Bear. It's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. But do you have any thoughts about what we can expect for, for Terra in the next year or two?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, very, very excited to be doing the work on the defense side. Again, just by by background, it strikes a meaningful chord with me. I can see individuals either who would I be able to share beers with, you know, today, technology been deployed. So on a personal level, it strikes me that the, the work we're doing here on some of the major programs is only going to accelerate and i think the demand signal for autonomy specifically vehicle ground vehicle autonomy in dod is is only going to accelerate as these things hit the other side is on on the commercial and I, I think there's a few big announcements you should stay tuned for the use in ports the use in first mile logistics are among them getting very excited around those and i do want to circle back to the defense aspect because you brought up a, a question earlier on just around, you know, the safety aspect and that offset of risk. And so when I think about the testing that has to go in to employ these in the defense sector, that risk transfer looks a lot different on defense than what it does on automotive. You know, the example I'll give here is when something runs through the rigors of the defense side, essentially that risk transfer really rolls over to the Department of Defense to to employ and use these systems in a way deemed, deemed appropriate by commanders. And I think that really accelerates the safety work that goes into the commercial side, especially in the new industry.
0: All of that makes complete sense and clearly indicates that you know we should keep eyes on Forterra as you continue to evolve and frankly sound to be leaders in evolving the autonomous vehicle space uh, for us as the military will lead and, and commercial will follow so thank you all very much for that i must ask given all the excitement that your company is going through right now if we could
1: touch base with you maybe a year or two from now and see how things are going i would love that yeah i would love to shed a little bit more light on some of the things we're doing and at that time like that would be a great catch-up and you know maybe a teaser for the things ahead in two years
0: well pat all of that sounds very exciting it's clear that we need to keep eyes on for Terra as things continue to develop there, and we see more of you in the marketplace. But um, in our final words here, is there anything more you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, there is. So we talked a little about auto drive and the environments that we're tackling, but what we didn't really cover is how this all gets brought back to to command. It's really, how do I scale out you know, one operator to multiple vehicles and really coordinate the chaos, so to speak? And so while we've been tackling essentially the mobility aspects of, you know, single vehicles or teams of vehicles. What we haven't really talked about is how this scales out from a command center perspective. And what I'm really looking at is there's a coordination piece that goes on at a central node to run multiple lines of effort out to, you know, different pickup locations or different mission objectives. And that networking piece is is particularly interesting. And that's where we're, we're starting to lean to really to scale out both the, the defense work and the, the commercial side of things. That's
0: interesting. I guess I'm, I'm trying to picture that in my mind a little bit. Is that anything akin to what we see in the movies? And I know now it's deployed in the field where you've got some operators of UAVs, for example, in one location and they're manning or handling a variety of different of the aerial vehicles that are located all around the world. Is that kind of what you're thinking about or has I got that wrong?
1: No, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking yeah. about. When, you know, to draw the analogy to the movie, these vehicles are able to move to a location to go perform a task. How they're moving along that route is, is interesting, but it's not something that requires someone's full attention. Like they should, be, they should be safely monitoring it. How do those vehicles really team up with that, with that individual? But then the, the more interesting part is it's really easy to scale hardware, right? Like I can go to a manufacturing line. And you can print off more vehicles. Uh, you can apply the autonomy to it. And you can go do more things the hard part is is really scaling people you know human life is is incredibly precious and setting up that human robotic team or that human av team to go tackle something that requires the moral and ethical thought of an individual at a final location with the ability for robots to go tackle kind of the repetitive dangerous dirty tasks uh, that are that are needed to to close that mission is where we see a huge confluence of capability and growth.
0: I really appreciate you sharing those final words with us. It just intrigued me even more. We've taken up a lot of your time and really appreciate every moment of it. You've been a wealth of information. And I know now that we'll very likely be touching base with you in some time to hear how things are going and what your visions are of of how the future is going to unfold. So thank you very much, Pat. Very much appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing from you soon.
1: Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Eric. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: This episode of In Motion is brought to you by Kroll and Mooring LLP. To learn more about this series, visit kroll.com forward slash podcasts.